You are listening to a sermon preached at the First Christian Church of St. Ignatius in St. Ignatius, Montana. For more information, you can visit us at www.firstchristiansti.org. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, at least to begin with, and I warned our Sunday school attendees here this morning, there's going to be a lot of scriptures. I'll have them, the references on the screen, at least I hope I have them on the screen, and uh, if you don't get to all of them in the course of the message, I understand if you can write them down or listen to the message later, this message, barring any unforeseen technical difficulties, this message will also be posted on the website uh, probably later today sometime. All right. Now, there's a joke that I used to tell that goes like this. Welcome to Montana, where the men are men and the women are too. (laughs) Now, see, that was funny back in the days uh, before the age of gender confusion was inflicted upon us. Not so funny now, is it? No, no, not really. But see, but even when it was funny, or at least it was funny to me, it was still just a joke because... Men are not women, and women are not men. Now, I know that's probably obvious to everyone here today, but the times that we live in demand such obvious observations. The Bible is clear that God intentionally and purposefully created people in two and only two genders, male and female. They are not open, excuse me, they are not interchangeable, nor are they open to redefinition. But because of the presence of sin in the world, in a very few instances, there is legitimate confusion concerning whether a baby is born male or female for most of the population. I mean, the vast majority of the population, that's not an issue. Physical gender is clearly defined. Now, the observation that men are not women and women are not men leads us to another observation. Moms are not dads. And dads are not moms. Even as God designed men to be men and women to be women, he also designed fathers to be fathers and mothers to be mothers with different roles and responsibilities in the family and in the church. Now, do those roles and responsibilities sometimes overlap? Absolutely. Can a single dad or a single mom successfully raise children? Again, absolutely, but in my opinion, it will be more difficult, and it is not the optimal situation for raising children. That load that the father would have carried or the mother would have carried in those instances will have to be redistributed to be carried. Here are some statistics from the Family's Civil Liberties Union website that show the importance of a father's presence in the home. When a father is present, children are five times less likely to commit suicide, 32 times less likely to run away, 20 times less likely to have behavioral disorders, 14 times less likely to commit rape, 9 times less likely to drop out of high school, 10 times less likely to abuse chemical substances, and 9 times less likely to end up in state-operated institutions. When father is present. Now, as with any statistics, there are likely a lot more factors involved. But when you take these all together, it seems clear that dads are important. Not more important or less important than moms. 
Not better than or worse than moms, but they are important. So, since today is Father's Day, I wanted to bring a message that is aimed at all the dads, present, past, future, all the dads, as well as a message that would really benefit everyone here today. To that end, I have selected 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 through 14 as our main scripture. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14. This passage contains five directives that I think will challenge all of us and hopefully, especially the dads who are here. And again, when I say that, I'm including all of you who are not dads today, perhaps, but who will become dads in the future. Here's what 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14 says. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And this morning we're going to look at these five points contained in these two verses. And the focus of all of them is spiritual strength, leadership, and responsibility. When Paul wrote them to the church in Corinth, he didn't address them specifically to fathers, but I think that all fathers should take them to heart. The title of today's message is the same as the third point, dads, act like men. Now, how many of you are familiar with uh, LifeLock or one of the other credit monitoring agencies? LifeLock, you've heard of that? right? Maybe some of you use that, I don't know. For a fee, these companies will keep tabs on your bank and credit card accounts to determine whether someone is trying to use your personal information to open fraudulent accounts or to gain access to the accounts that you already have. They alert you to suspicious activity and try to help you minimize and even undo the damage of any such activity. Their efforts are supposed to give you peace of mind, freeing you from the necessity of constant vigilance regarding your accounts. But that's not how our lives work regarding spiritual matters. You can't farm that out. You can't give that to somebody else to do. And we are told repeatedly in the scriptures to be on our guard, to keep watch, to be ready, and to be on the alert. And fathers, as the primary spiritual leaders for your families, here are three things for which you need to be on the alert. First of all, for false teaching from Acts chapter 20. In the last part of Acts 20, the Apostle Paul was returning to Jerusalem. But he didn't know what was going to happen to him there, so he wanted to give what might be his final words of instruction to the elders at the church in Ephesus. Among other things, Paul said this in Acts 20, verses 28 through 31. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know, Paul writes, Paul tells, speaking to them, tells the elders in Ephesus, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. From the very beginning of the church, certain people would take the true teachings about Jesus Christ and they would twist them, they would distort them, they would even replace them, all in an effort to benefit themselves. Fathers, 
Don't fall into the trap of thinking that just because someone or something mentions the Bible or mentions God or mentions Jesus Christ, that whatever is taught is automatically okay. There's a lot of things being said that reference the Bible or God or Jesus Christ that are absolutely contrary to what we find in God's word. You need to know what God's word says. So you can guard it yourselves and your families and in the, your involvement in the church, even there, against every kind of false teaching. In a way, you become a life lock for those involved, except in a spiritual way. Now, dads, let me ask you this. If you knew there was someone lurking around your home or in your neighborhood who was intent on doing harm to you and or your family, what would you do? Yeah, well, no, I'm not, not asking you to commit, but I want you to think about that question, yeah. Yeah, I think, see, we're getting a posse up right now. I saw that happen. Would you ignore that threat? Or would you do everything in your power to protect yourself and your family? Now, I don't know, I mean, I don't get out much, but I don't know of a real dad anywhere who would stand idly by and allow the physical security of his family to be threatened. And should we be any less vigilant when it comes to our family's spiritual security? 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 are probably familiar to most or all of us here, but I want you to hear them again. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Dads, are you, ask, are you watching for Satan's infiltration of evil in the lives of your children and your family members? You have the responsibility to resist the devil on behalf of your children, even as you are teaching them how to resist him on their own. And guarding against false teachers and false teaching, protecting yourself and your family from the devil's influence, these are key elements of preparing for the third thing for which we need to be on the alert, the return of Jesus Christ. I mentioned that in Sunday school here this morning. Jesus himself gave many warnings to watch and to be ready for his return. One of those warnings is in Mark 13. Mark 13, verses 33 through 37. This is Jesus telling his disciples that they need to be ready for his own return. Mark 13, 33 through 37. Take heed, Jesus said. Keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey, who, upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Three times he says it in that passage. And he says to watch and be ready for his return. Now, I don't know about the rest of you dads. I suspect probably some of you can identify here. Speaking for myself, I get pretty caught up in my day-to-day -day responsibilities and activities. And sometimes, 
sometimes that keeps me from being as alert for Christ's return as I should be. I have this sincere hope that if Jesus were to show up right now, I wouldn't say, hold on, we're not done. Okay, I, I really hope that I wouldn't say that because I'd be ready, so ready that he's finally here. Okay, What would you do differently if you knew that Jesus was coming back on Friday of this week? I'm not saying he is. I'm not making a prediction, but I'm asking. If you knew that, if that were the fact and you knew it was a fact, he was coming back on Friday, what would you do differently? Would that knowledge change your life even a little bit? Now, here's the tougher question. Should it? Should that knowledge change your life even a little bit? Fathers, are you on the alert for Christ's return, both for yourselves and for your families, being the watchmen who keep that alertness and that readiness always at the front? We need to be. The second part of our two-verse passage this morning from 1 Corinthians is stand firm in the faith. Probably most of us have heard the old adage, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Right. The idea is that you have to know what you believe and then stick to it so that you aren't led away from your belief. Now that's great as far as it goes, but I don't think it goes far enough. This second point we get from 1 Corinthians 16, 13, isn't just stand firm in something. It's stand firm in the faith. Dads, it is imperative that we have a mature, growing, sincere faith in Jesus Christ, but it is just as critical that we stand firm in that faith, not in some other faith, not in some substitute for that faith, but in that faith. And we find a... a, a, a wonderful word picture in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 17. The imagery of that passage, Ephesians 6, 11 through 17, is that of a soldier preparing himself for battle. In Paul's analogy there, the Christian soldier puts on the full armor of God. And some of you kids, you know, a lot of times it's a VBS thing or a camp thing or a Sunday school thing. You kids could name all those parts, right? Okay, you got the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the boots of the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. That's kind of appealing to dads, I think, okay? After all, we're men, right? We love things like armor and tools and weapons, and, you know, those are all just, you know, we're, we're little kids at heart. Those are all really neat things. But why? Why are we putting on all this armor because you think about what that's for. And typically, we look at armor and we say, well, you put on armor so you can fight. Hmm. That's only half the, half the equation here, okay? It's not just so that we can fight. Dads, we are not the expendable red-shirted crewmen from Star Trek. Or, yeah, I know, I'm going to have to explain this. Or stormtroopers from Star Wars. Okay, I have to, Star, Star Trek fans, anybody? Okay, so what do you know about the red-shirters? Yeah, yeah, okay. They get put out there because they are expendable, and we know they get sent on the mission, they're not coming back. And the stormtroopers, those white, you know, weird helmeted things from Star Wars, okay, they're just out there, and they can't hit anything to save their lives, literally. <laughs> yeah, okay, so, so they're just, you know, they're just getting mowed down while, you know, the guys with the force are doing their thing. All right. We are not that. We are not dads. We are not some sort of cannon fodder whose death is perfectly acceptable as long as the battle is won. 
That's not why we put on the armor. We don't just put on the armor to fight. We put it on so that we can stand firm against the schemes of the devil, so that we can resist in the evil day. And so, having done all that we are called to do for Christ and for the church, we can stand firm. The armor of God isn't ours just so we can fight. It's ours so we can win. I don't want us to lose sight of that. Okay. Another reason we need to stand firm in the faith. In John chapter 17, and we're going to come back to Philippians 127 here in a minute, but in John chapter 17, Jesus offered what is often called the high priestly prayer. A key element of that prayer is the desire for unity among those who follow Jesus Christ. And I believe that such unity transcends denominational boundaries, transcends time and geography. It is only possible for those who have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. But the fact remains that Jesus desired for his followers, past, present, and future, to have unity with each other. Now, Paul often wrote about the unity of believers as well. And in Philippians 1.27, Philippians 1.27, he wrote this, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of of the gospel. Now, standing firm in the faith is something that we fathers must do, and not only for ourselves, and not only for our families, but for the sake of all Christians of all places and all times. And we have visitors here this morning from Indiana, Nebraska, Kentucky. Did I miss anybody? We have visitors from, I'm sorry, you're from? <laughs> Iowa. All right. All right, so, yeah, you guys know John and Lisa from Iowa. All right, and I'm sorry I missed that. Now, Indiana is not Nebraska, uh, which is not Kentucky, which is not Iowa, none of which are Montana, right? And Rick was talking about that a little bit this morning. I mean, here we are. We come from diverse backgrounds. We have diverse interests. Probably no two of us like or dislike all exactly the same things. Yet here we are, together in fellowship, in honor of and in the presence of Jesus Christ himself, where two or more are gathered together in his name. He's here now. That unity strengthens our churches. That unity strengthens our families. And dads, I would submit that starts with you. Then another way we need to stand firm in the faith just as we saw the need to be on the alert against false teachers and false teaching, we also have the need to stand firm in sound doctrine. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 In 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Paul writes, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now, Paul called it tradition, but what's that word us all about? He's talking about the apostles as they received the teaching from Jesus, as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to communicate these things to the churches and to pass on that body of teaching concerning Jesus, God, salvation, eternity, and all the other essential elements of sound doctrine. Don't be one of those people who falls for the lie that it doesn't matter what you believe so long as you believe. 
What you believe does matter. And God's word is the last word about what we ought to believe. Now, the third point is the title of today's message, Act Like Men. That might evoke some negative stereotypes that would detract from what we want to focus on today. For some of you, act like men might mean drinking straight from the milk carton and putting it back in the refrigerator. Or, you know, wearing the same pair of pants until they can stand up on their own. Or not asking for directions when you're hopelessly lost, right? Not that there's anything wrong with those things, but anyway. No, when Paul wrote, act like men, he was talking about honor and maturity, especially in spiritual matters. Fathers, here are three areas in which your children, your family, and your church need you to act like men. First one is from 1 Timothy 2.8, and it's in prayer. Paul begins 1 Timothy chapter 2 by directing his readers to pray for those who are in authority so that Christians can live tranquil and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity. You can read that chapter yourself and see that. He says that this should lead to the gospel being spread even more with more people choosing to follow Jesus and receiving salvation. Then he says this, Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Now, Paul addresses this command specifically to men, and that includes all of us fathers here. In the devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest, Oswald Chambers says this about prayer. If you have that book and want to look it up, I think it's August 28 or something like that. But anyway, Oswald Chambers says this. We hear it said that a person's life will suffer if he doesn't pray, but I question that. What will suffer is the life of the Son of God in him, which is nourished not by food, but by prayer. When a person is born again from above, the life of the Son of God is born in him, and he can either starve or nourish that life. Prayer is the way that the life of God in us is nourished. Our common ideas regarding prayer are not found in the New Testament. We look upon prayer simply as a means of getting things for ourselves, but the biblical purpose of prayer is that we may get to know God himself. Fathers, appealing to another verse that Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let's pray without ceasing that God might have his way in each of us. And another way we need to act like men is living up to the image of God in which we were created. This means developing the quality of godliness, as Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. Starting toward the end of verse 7, we read, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Godliness benefits you now and in eternity, and it will also benefit your children, your family, your church, and even your community. And then the third way in which we are to act like men, and there are many others. I mean, we have to be selective when we start talking about issues like this. These are just three among many. How many of you have seen the movie Secondhand Lions? Secondhand Lions? Oh, good, good, good. All right, so in the movie... Robert Duvall's char- character, Uncle Hub, right? Uncle Hub, uh, yeah. 
uh, Hub McCann. He gives a group of young troublemakers his everything a boy needs to know about becoming a man speech, right? Uh, This is after he beats them all up, even though he's getting on in years, as we say, and he's on his way home from the hospital after having a heart attack. But still, okay, he beats them up, and then he gives them his what every boy needs to know about becoming a man speech. And I thought about that as I was looking at these points and thinking, you know what? And I didn't really start out with this intent, but as I was putting this together, it happened this way. You see all these passages are out of 1 Timothy, right? And uh, I looked at that, and I thought, well, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. Paul was very much Timothy's spiritual father, and he may have acted like a father to him in other ways as well. We don't know, kind of a surrogate father helping Timothy to grow and mature in the faith and in other ways, possibly. His instruction to Timothy in both First and Second Timothy, could be called the everything a boy needs to know about becoming a godly man speech. So in First Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, after telling Timothy to avoid foolish talk and useless controversies and love of money, Paul writes this, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And dads, I would say to you, each one of us must fight the good fight of faith, demonstrating faithfulness in our relationship to Christ, in our relationships to our wives and children, and in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ as we act like men in honor to God, and for the purpose of spiritual maturity. Now, the fourth thing I want to tell fathers this morning from our passage in 1 Corinthians is to be strong. Now, most of us are probably aware that men, just generally, typically, in you know, not, not saying in specific instances there can't be exceptions, but men, typically, generally, physically stronger than women. There's nothing wrong with that. But that isn't the kind of strength we're looking for here. Paul wasn't talking about being able to bench press 300 pounds. Three? More? Oh, anyway, I'm not, not going to single you out. Doesn't matter. Okay? Or hike 20 miles in the mountains, which was never on my list of things to do. Paul was talking about being strong in the Lord in the midst of worldly influences that will try to knock you down spiritually. And dads, here are three ways that we can be strong like that. First of all, as you follow God, when King David was about to die, he called his son Solomon to him to give him some final instructions about how to be a godly man and how to be a godly king. From 1 Kings chapter 2, uh, I have verses 1 through 3. Uh, that was, verse 1 is just him calling Solomon to him. But verses 2 and 3 say this, David speaking to his son Solomon. I am going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. According to David, how could Solomon be strong and act like a man? By being obedient. To God's command, living what God had given in his word. And, and fathers, I know sometimes we get involved in our own things and we don't remember that our children are watching us, but they're watching us all the time. 
They will see if what we do matches what we say. They will emulate us as we obey God, and they will emulate us as we disobey God. Be strong and act like men by being obedient to God. And then be strong as you parent your children from Ephesians 6, 4. Please forgive me if what I am about to say seems a little too graphic. I try to avoid things that might be you know, over the edge from the pulpit. And I, I could think of other ways to say this that are worse. But anyway, I think this needs to be said. And men almost, this, I'm talking to the men here, almost any male can get a woman pregnant, but it takes a real man to be a dad. Okay? Fatherhood isn't just about that one part of the picture. I've heard young adults say, adulting is hard. And I'm not adult enough to handle this. I need someone adultier than me. That's how kids are talking these days, I guess. Anyway, all grammatical considerations aside, it is true that adulting is hard. Being a parent, and specifically today, a father, is even harder. But men, we must be strong as we parent our children. In addition to being godly men who provide a good example of faith and obedience, we have the responsibility of teaching, disciplining, and training our children in faith and godliness. And we should think about scriptures like Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If you want even-tempered kids, you need, you need to be an even-tempered dad. And I say that, my son Nate is here somewhere, I say that as one who struggles with that sometimes. And he knows that, and I'm sorry that he knows that. If you want obedient kids, you need to be an obedient dad, obedient to God. If you want self-controlled kids, you need to be a self-controlled dad. All that takes strength, being strong be strong as you parent your children. And just as your children will generally follow your example of temperament, self-control, try again. There we go. Just as your children will generally follow your example of temperament, self-control and obedience, they will also follow your example of how you respond to worldly pressure. Dads, there is an expression that probably many of us have heard, but none of us can afford to use. Do as I say, not as I do. How many of you ever heard that? Yeah, okay. You really think that works? I don't think that works. I really don't think that works. I know, I know, our children will choose for themselves whether they will follow Jesus, but I also know that the example that we parents set even though it's never going to be perfect, the example that we parents set will go a long way in leading them to or away from Jesus Christ. In his first epistle, the Apostle John tells us why we must resist the temptations of the world in which we live. One of my very favorite passages, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives 
forever. And dads, if you love the things of the world, I don't just mean stuff. I mean, you know, we, we can use things and enjoy using those things and make the best use of them that we can in good stewardship and all that. But if you love the things of the world, the world's values, the world's morals, the world's attitude, if you love the world's self-focused agenda, then don't be surprised when your kids love those things as well. Be strong as you resist the pressure to love the world and its things. And then the last point from our passage in 1 Corinthians 16, do everything in love. And there has been so much said about the importance of love in the life of the Christian, yet we can't overemphasize it. We can't talk about it too much. According to Jesus, it is the defining characteristic of his disciples. So even though you know, I know you've heard all this again. I want to go over some things briefly. I want to encourage all of our dads and all the rest of you too to consider the areas in which that Christian love should be expressed. We might get to where we know what it is. Where do we use it? Well, we use it in the home. Fathers, before you became a father, you were a husband. And as a husband, you have a responsibility to demonstrate Christian love in your home and specifically to your wife, Ephesians 5, 25 through 30. And when you really take this apart, there's some pretty heavy stuff in here. And men, all men, whether your husbands now are going to be husbands in the future, I would encourage you to read this and reread it and take it apart and really examine it. But here it is, Ephesians 5, 25 through 30, which says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So, husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. And men, I'd say this, if you want your children to love their mom, they need to know that their dad loves their mom. We apply that love in the area of the church as well from John chapter 13. I mentioned earlier that Jesus said that love is the defining characteristic of his disciples. That statement comes from John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, which says a new commandment. This is Jesus speaking. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this... All men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I mentioned before that last week John Robine here preached a great message about the Great Commission. And he said, if I remember everything I heard there, that it was the duty, he said that it was the duty of all Christians to go into all the world and tell them about Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that Jesus commanded. You said that, yes? All right. Dads, I have this question. Where does all the world begin for you, if not at home? Okay? Your children will see the relationships that you have in the church, and they will d decide whether Christian love is the defining characteristic of those relationships. 
Go into all the world starts inside your own home. We also apply that Christian love in the community. It doesn't stop on our way out the door as we leave the church building. We don't limit our expression of Christ's love to just our families and just other Christians. Paul told us as much in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. In Romans 13, verses 8 through 10, Paul wrote, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. I think uh, the NIV says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. I like the way it puts that. Owe nothing to anything except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. I also have up there Matthew chapter 5, verses 45 through 48. If you read that, you'll see that Jesus defined who our neighbor is, not not there, elsewhere. Jesus defined who our neighbor is in the parable of the Good Samaritan. But in Matthew chapter 5, he, Jesus went so far as to say that loving our enemies is what makes us children of God. Dad, if we want to act like godly men, we need to learn to love with godly love. Now, I've gone on and on, I know this morning, about these five simple points. I've laid out more scripture than I usually ever use in a sermon, and if that caused difficulty, I apologize for that. I think, again, this is something for you to take home and break apart on your own. But these five points that we just talked about, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. They're all pretty self-explanatory. I could have said, take 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, open it up your Bible when you get home, write your own sermon on those, four, on those five points. You would have done just fine with that, okay? Because you could look at that and you could go through and research and see what God's Word has to say about those five easy-to-understand things. Maybe I should have done it this way. Here's a one-sentence summary of today's message from Solomon in, in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. That's a pretty good summary of what we just covered. The man who walks in his integrity is the man who fulfills his God-given design. You were created in the image of God, which means to live up to that design, you have to be like God in every way in which it is possible for you to be like God. Can you create something from nothing? No. Can you be everywhere at once? No. Can you possibly know everything? No. Just ask your wife. She'll tell you. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. But you can be faithful and loving and righteous and holy upholding godly commands and desires while rejecting those of the world. Or, put another way, dads, you can act like men. And as any of us endeavor to fulfill God's purpose for us in living up to being created in his image, we first have to recognize that we have a built-in barrier to doing so in the form of our sin. 
on our own, we would have no hope of overcoming that barrier. But thanks be to God that he has provided for us a man who is also God, Jesus Christ. Through his sinless life, his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, God gives us the opportunity to live up to our design of being created in his image. By his grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, having washed our sins away in Christian baptism, we can be made new, receiving his Holy Spirit and living a new life in Christ. This blessing is for all who would receive it. If you would receive this blessing today, please come forward as we stand and sing our invitation song.